Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to our newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Zeno, joined, as always, by the Donnie to my dude. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Man, I'm always good. And our very own Walter. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how you doing? I it's a sh- it's a show dog, dude. It's got papers. You can't board. You can't board Aquaman. He'll get upset. His hair will fall out. <laughs> no, Eric. Not everything's about Vietnam. I was gonna scream behind the line, but I was like, Nah, <laughs> don't start the podcast about <laughs> too All aggressive. Right. All right, we got to get right into it, man. This is a joyous occasion. I think that. I tweeted out right after the game. I cannot see what I cannot wait to see what kind of mental hoops people are willing to jump through to be critical of this Seahawks win because it's it is uh it would be hard to be critical of that. But before we start anything else, Pete, I know you're listening. I know you're listening. Happy 69th birthday, bro. Nice. Nice. <laughs> nice. So uh all right. Um what's uh what's What's a, your oh man? I don't even know where to start. It's like so good. I have so uh, many things. Embarrassment of riches. I have, I have like all these things written down. Um, Week one review. The, are we doing offense or defense? Let's do, let's do this first. I'm just gonna say my favorite tweet. Greg Bell tweeted: Pete Carroll is screaming "woo" so loudly in this empty stadium. I can hear him six levels and 200 yards away inside this sealed press box. Hashtag Seahawks <laughs> offense rolling. Let's start with the offense. Okay, the offense was on fire, but it was mostly just one man. One myth, one legend, Mr. 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 Unlimited himself, Russell Wilson, was on fire Sunday. And um, yeah, you might want to say, like, allow Chris Carson to bake, permit uh, Carlos Hyde to saute, uh, maybe whatever you want. Travis Homer to sous vide. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you got it. Russ cooked, and boy, did he make a delicious dish. 30 for 34. Um, best 30-plus uh, attempt. Uh, third best accuracy for 30-plus attempts all time. Just an insane game from Russell Wilson. And the thing is, he did it all over the court. Two deep throws. Uh, really, two for two deep throws. 38 yards, 37 yards, including that absolute dagger on fourth down to DK Metcalf. Just an insult. Russell Wilson was noted as saying, I saw the way they were celebrating on third down. So I really wanted to go back out there for fourth down. Well, well aren't we glad he did? I love that. That was a yeah, buddy. excellent play. He killed them on every level, short, mean, intermediate, long. Russell Wilson was absolutely amazing uh, this week. I just really uh, cannot say enough. And even then he had a couple runs, uh, 29 yards rushing, got a first down on a rush. Just looked amazing in in every level. I can't express uh, how excited I am. I mean, if the thing that I was most excited about, and I'm going to be honest with you guys, if we run some this week, I'm actually a little bit more okay with it because what I liked is that we looked at the other team and we saw they had a weakness. Their weakness was their secondary is pretty bad, right? Their secondary is not very good. And so what did we do? We didn't just run 50 times into a seven-man box. We attacked. We went after that weakness, and it was unbelievable to watch because lately it just seems like, you know, okay, we haven't gone after those weaknesses, right? And it was just, that was awesome. So, okay, I've talked a lot. Kevin, what's your big takeaways from Russ's big day? Man, big takeaways. You know, middle name, you know, Carrington is his middle name, and he Carrington the ball several times to great effect. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, he had that one really nice boot action, um, and then he had the, like, what was it? It was like a jet sweep option run where he kept it 
And we've been talking for a while. If he can just kind of put the thread of his legs out there early in the season, you have to watch the way that it forces teams to play a little bit more man coverage. And it's really hard to man up on Lockett and DK. And so those are those little seeds that he can put out there early in the year that set up later passing opportunities. And so he had a couple of really strong runs. As you already said, short, intermediate, deep, everything was great. Something that I really noticed was the quick game in passing was going. And Russ was getting rid of the ball in such a way to take advantage of the pass rush more often than I'm normal than I'm normally used to seeing. And I give Shadi a lot of credit for that. He dialed up some of those quick slants and uh, screen plays, quick bubble screens outside. Uh, there was a throw. There were a couple of throws to David Moore where it was just kind of beating the ball to him down the sideline. Where if the front seven attacked as pass rushers suddenly they found themselves on the wrong side of the play and it allowed for some nice gains. So it was nice to see the way things were schemed to take pressure off of Russ from a pass rush perspective. Yeah. Eric, what, what, Eric, what was your big takeaway from Russ's, uh, Russ's big day as I, as I put it for me, I mean, let Russ cook has been the theme all summer, but the fact that we went out and did it. And like you said, we may not do it every week, but the chance that we put it out there, like Kevin said about his legs, we put it out there that, hey, we're passing the ball more. So if we do or we don't, it's out there. It's no longer like, ooh, Russ can be a threat. This is now an anticipation, a prediction from the other team, uh, something they're going to have to game plan for, all because we attacked what we saw in Atlanta's defense, a team we knew we could with the weakened secondary, uh, uh, an absent secondary, and Russ just being Russ. I mean... How many drops were there? DK with a killer drop. The first time I've ever been mad at DK Metcalf. I was well, there was there was no more than than uh than 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 four drops. Yes, because... like <laughs> th- that's what I'm saying though. Is like that DK Metcalf drop. That would have been a big play as well. But what does Russ do? Russ is the ultimate confident. Don't worry about it. We'll get the next one, guy. It's got to have a positive effect on your team. Russ has been doing that for a decade now, or close to it. Um. It was just great to see him shine out there. And the fact that his game gave us a great game overall that made us say we didn't have any moments where it's another three and out where we're running the ball, bad pass, running the ball. Like you, It's fine to have a three and out. But we're having a game usually where it's like, how many times are we going to keep doing this? Like slamming our head against the wall. And we didn't have that. And you got to give uh, credit to Shadi, but I'm giving credit to Russ because holy geez, he was amazing. And uh, OK, let's look at the offensive line a little bit. The Seahawks this offseason revamped their offensive line, bringing in a new right side. Uh, Ethan Postich has finally taken over at center. Kevin, what did you notice uh, about the offensive line play this uh, in week in week one? Well, uh, Damian Lewis is somebody I've been really excited about, and he came out and I noticed that there was a bit of a struggle on that right side in the first quarter, and really for a chunk of the first half where it felt like Lewis and um, Shell were having a little bit of trouble over there, especially with Grady Jarrett sitting there as a pass rushing interior guy. But it was interesting because when I went back to watch, what I noticed on the second watch as I slowed down a lot of the pressures where the struggle actually was, Brandon Shell was doing a very nice job, 
the two things I noticed were our two guards. Mike Ayupati was our worst offensive lineman this game. Mm-hmm. I think overall he was by far our worst. Agreed. He looks he looks a little slow to me, just in general. And it, I mean, he's been in the league for a long time and had a lot of injuries, so it wouldn't surprise me if his legs are a little bit shot. Yeah, he looks a little hobbled, and he's also not sticky. Like, you want somebody who, when they start blocking that person, they stay blocked. And I didn't feel like that was the case for Ayupati. I felt like there were a number of times where he would start blocking an interior guy, and then the interior guy would swing out around him, and suddenly they'd come through the gap between Posich and Lewis, and it would look like it was a pressure coming from the right side, which is kind of what threw me in live action. But what it was actually was, was somebody just completely avoiding Mike Ayupati and him not being able to do anything. And then there were far too many moments where Lewis was blocking air for me. And I feel like that's one of those timing things that's going to be worked out. So I'm less concerned about Lewis, but I think Mike Ayupati's starting time could be limited with this team. But I mean, Brown was amazing as always. Jordan Jordan Simmons played 13 snaps. I mean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's not like Ayupati even played the whole game. They got him out. he played 13 better snaps. Yeah, he played better. My thing for the right side of the line, it, um, watching them play to get there, they had communication issues throughout the mm-hmm. game, and uh, that led to pressures. Uh, Damian Lewis gave up four pressures. Uh, Shell had two, and I think that if they when they clean those up, that'll be more like two and one. You know, that they'll cut they'll be able to cut those pressures in half. Epoty just looked o- a little overwhelmed, but for the most part, I was fairly happy with how this offensive line played. I thought Shell looked pretty decent. Um, like basically, he looked like. Outside of those miscommunication plays, which were notable and very visible, and that and the thing is, about offensive line plays, you want it to be nondescript. Like, did anybody notice Dwayne Brown in this game? No, because he was awesome the whole game. Right, he's just good. Yep. But but uh, Shell, I think, was not that much worse. Shell was a really did a really solid job uh, blocking, but he had the notable sack give up on the miscommunication, and so that everyone that's what everyone remembers. Don't leave that let that be the only thing you remember. This guy looked like Effetti without penalties which is all he looked like a, a Fetty. If he could cut out the penalties would have been a quality uh, uh, right tackle for the Seattle Seahawks. If shell is just a, a Fetty or slightly better Fetty with no penalties, that is going to be a very useful player for the, for the Seattle Seahawks the whole season and a gigantic upgrade over last year. Damian Lewis, three penalties, four rushes. He has some stuff he needs to clean up, but he was a mauler. He looked like he belonged. Um, I think that guy has a bright future and you know, Rookies take time to settle in. It's not going to be one day, right? But I he was really worked some dudes in the run game. <laughs> yeah, I was really happy. Oh man, that screen pass when him, <laughs> yeah. him and Postage were out there running. The thing, and that's the thing, is we have more often more athletic offensive linemen this year. Those screen plays they didn't work with last year's offensive line because those guys couldn't get out like that. And then this year we throw that screen pass, and those guys are out there leading the way, right? And it's like, man, this is a, this play looks good. This is set up for guys to go into the end zone because these athletic offensive linemen can move. And so I'm really excited. I'm really excited about just the, the temp, the tempo the team can play with the, the tempo, the tenor of the, the offensive line. It just looks really good. Yeah. And uh, I'm just excited about it. The tempo Eric looked- mentioned it. What was your favorite part of that screenplay, Eric? Well, <laughs> the fact that we pulled off multiple screens is actually my honest favorite part of it. Um, it really is that, everyone blocked downfield. It wasn't the guys missing their blocks. It wasn't like, uh, you know, our old screen passes where we would actually uh, set up what looked to be a great screen pass and people just standing around where the ball carrier gets tackled. 
Oh man, but on the Carson touchdown, you were mentioning it before the show. There's a part where all of a sudden Carson's going to get in the end zone. It's probably about like six yards away from the play is, and Lewis just goes ahead and flattens a DB because he can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's all delightful. It's it's what we wanted to see, and I guess I didn't put together that it's our athletic offensive line, uh, and it wasn't all roses for them, but. Uh, the versatility of this offense, very, very cool. So wide receivers, Eric, we, I mean, Russ completed 30 of 34 passes, and you already mentioned <laughs> DK Metcalf. What about the other guys in the receiving game? What are some things you noticed? Can I give some love to Tyler Lockett? Uh, All the love. It's not, it's not like he's ever... Eight target, eight targets, <laughs> eight receptions, 92 yes. yards, four first downs. Eric, of course you can give him some love. Here's the thing. I, I'm, not, I'm not tough on Tyler. But I want to acknowledge that we can't just lay Tyler as this number one receiver. He's he's not an old guy, but he's had some injuries. He's a veteran. He's getting older. Uh, we have DK Metcalf, who's up and coming. I don't want to like tuck Tyler Lockett away, but I don't want to put everything on him, probably because of how much I love Doug Baldwin. And uh, we, we see what happened to Doug Baldwin. So I want to give love to Tyler Lockett, because in the offseason, I was like, Tyler's great. Tyler's going to be fine. But I, it's all DK. And what did Tyler Lockett do? He came out and played like a true number one. Eight for eight. Big yardage. Took some tackles. Took some big hits. Delivered a big hit. I love Tyler Lockett. I just need to put that out there. You know yeah, my favorite that, thing that he did was? What is that? That DPI on third and 23. That was a oh, savvy yeah, veteran. Yeah. Good call. Just kind of jumping, jumping, jumping into the guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so other... I mean, if DK doesn't have the two drops, then Russ goes, you know, 32 for 33 on catchable balls, which is gross, insane. Uh, DK had two drops. He had nine drops last year. It was something that I think all of us kind of hoped that he would cut out of his game. But he was so good on the rest of his receptions. He showed exactly what he is. He is worth and what he can do. Um, Like I said, if he can cut those drops out, he's one of the best receivers in the league, right? But if he doesn't, he's one of the he's the best number two receiver in the league like he's still really good <laughs> <laughs> he's still really freaking good uh he's he's super good uh carson getting six receptions on six targets for uh for including the two touchdowns i like that i love to see it um because uh it just less of the less of the res- the running backs that if carson can play like a like a swing back role he's a good blocker uh, pass blocker like underratedly good pass blocker and if he's going to end up being kind of our third down back and maybe play more of that like red zone third down second down role and then maybe let Hyde and Penny take the first down snaps I'm super into that more into that than I thought I would be doing the year because I just never really thought of that, of that as a possibility and so that that's a cool that was a cool little wrinkle that I think might be something to watch for in the as the season goes on is that Carson might be the pass catching back and he's a good blocker so that that gives us a big advantage. It'll be interesting yeah. to see what we do when Rashad Penny comes back because you know that they're going to try him put him put him into the offense when he's healthy and I think that's going to add yet another positive wrinkle to our offense. Um Carlos Hyde fine, Chris Carson good. That's the that's the way I'd rate that Travis Homer um, I don't need to see much more out of Homer to know that I don't want him to be on the field a ton, but uh, he does have value as depth. It's not like he shouldn't be on the team or anything. You thought Carlos but, Hyde was just fine. I, I would I would give him a plus just because seven seven rushes for twenty three yards. I loved his point, touchdown. 3. That touchdown was was what we needed from him and what I and expect of him. One thing I like about him is he moves forward when he runs. He's going to get that some yards yes. after contact. He's not just a he's not just going to take what the defense gives him. He's more he's than a that. Seahawks style back. 
Yeah, he's more than that, which is why maybe I think the role is being reversed from what I expected with Hyde being the first down kind of obvious rundown guy and not taking those blows that Chris Carson doesn't need to so he doesn't get any fumbles. I kind of love it. Uh, well, they also they also gave David Moore a couple like designed run attempts, which I thought was fun, and I thought he did fine with them. So like if that's part of our playbook, I mean, obviously, I'd rather have those designed run plays be to, to Tyler or, or DK, but... Those I like those kind of um, motioning guys and designed runs. Those plays keep defenses off balance. And, you know, there's two kinds of motion, right? Pre-snap and post-snap motion. And I feel like the Seahawks haven't played with a lot of pre-snap motion. And it puts us on the back foot, whereas other teams do play with a lot of pre-snap motion. And us stepping that up a little bit is a, good, is a step in the right direction. On offense and defense. And we'll get there when we talk about that. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up for DK, because there's right now a fixation with him just using his pure athleticism to get that step on Oliver on the outside on the fourth down touchdown. But a couple other plays that really stand out to me um, right after his first drop, when he did the reach for the first down on third and seven, mm-hmm. that was a really heads up move to know where the sticks are. And then the double move down the sideline made me immediately think of the game clenching catch he had against Philadelphia in the playoffs where he just puts that sick double move on the corner and it's just, there's no doubt. You know that that's going to be a long completion and it's just a beautiful thing. Like he's such a weapon. And then Olsen, Disley and Hollister all getting involved. I think the depth of this tight tight end run is a strength. I not one of these guys is probably going to, uh, to soak up everything, but it was cool to see Hollister get fullback snaps. That was um, something I think that maybe we, I want to see more of. The and, most fullback uh, snaps. And ju- yeah, the one Belor got. And then <laughs> it, it's going to be, I'm excited to see like, you know, how these guys all play because the tight end, the tight end position on the squad is loaded and it gives us, once again, a lot of flexibility to play in different formations and to play games with the other team and, you know, stack those guys in interesting ways. And so, it's good. It's good stuff. It's it's they're getting creative on offense and they're attacking the other team's weaknesses. If they can continue to do that on a week to week basis, this is has the potential to be we could be like Chiefs West or Chiefs NFC West, <laughs> you know, Chiefs <laughs> and Chiefs NFC like this team has that level of offensive talent and uh, on it right now. Yes. Yeah. So. All right. Defense. One Olive. one one name, Eric, one name. Who is it? <laughs> who is Jamal it, Adams it's Jamal oh Adams gosh what a debut 10 uh, 12 total tackles four pressures a sack a hit a hurry six run stops targeted twice in the passing game gave up only four yards got a pat didn't get a pass breakup but great defense on the other one Jamal Adams was everywhere there was not a spot on the football field he did not occupy he played snaps in a bunch of different positions and it just was so impressive to watch uh we talked about how Jamal Adams was a Swiss army knife. And I think it was great in the first game to see it in such windows. Okay, guys, you ready for this? 11, 11 snaps on the defensive line, 25 snaps in the box, 10 snaps as a slot corner and 33 snaps as a deep safety everywhere. They did not play around. And one thing I loved about Jamal Adams, he did exactly what he Jamal Adams does. He sees the play, he diagnoses the play and he reacts and makes a play in the backfield. Like, there are some some Atlanta's runs, those six run stops, some of Atlanta's runs, he blew them those plays up before they ever had a chance to start on plays that no other player in this league is making because that is how special Jamal Adams is. And yes, 
two first round picks is a steep price, but you don't get a player like Jamal Adams on your team if you don't make moves like that. And we have two whole years to negotiate that contract. It's not like he's walking away like Clowney. So this is this is a big, big, big time uh, player, and he made big, big, big time impact. I was so enamored with Jamal Adams. And of course, the legend Bobby Wagner was good as well, right? I was about to say, that's what it felt like was we had two Bobby Wagners in the run game. Every single time, there, it was a tale of two uh, run defenses. There was one run defense where the defensive line got blown up off the line. Yeah, and it's that fast, fast, we have fast Bobby Wagner now and strong Bobby Wagner. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> the other option is if the defensive line actually can be a little stout, if they can at least hold the line of scrimmage, what you saw was Wagner and Adams knifing in. And they were basically, there's no way both of them are going to miss the correct gap. One of them is going to blow up the correct gap and just ruin the entire run play. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's gross. It's amazing. The center, the center of the field for us is going to be a nightmare for other teams. I thought uh, KJ Wright looked good. Uh, Jordan Brooks had only a few snaps, but he looked good in those snaps. Got, got targeted twice in the past game, dropping back and only gave up uh, eight yards. So that's to that's Julio. really solid stuff. Um, yeah, he was guarding Julio on one. I was like, oh, "That's scary! Don't do that, Pete." That's a, <laughs> Michael. Ken- I had Michael Kendricks flashbacks. So Pete loves doing I, that. One thing I, I like is one that of those DB blitzes that was lots, yeah. lots of lots of five defensive backs on the field too. And I mean, they did abuse Marquise Blair. Uh, targeted eight times in the past game, get seven receptions for ninety-two yards. Did not look great in coverage, uh, but I don't really care so much as that as like that's something that we need to do we need to take that risk and develop it our corners had a bad day just in general mark i'm going to put marquise in that with shaquille and quinton uh they were able to find success with their honestly premier wide receiver talent against our our cornerbacks which is worrying because i have higher expectations for shaquille and for uh for uh Quentin quentin dunbar than that and it sucked like but we talk. We always joke about it, Kevin. Shaquille got caught running diagonally. I don't know what it is, but like when that guy's running diagonally, he just, guys can just get by him a little bit. I got I, it. Do you want to hear? Is, you figured it out. You figured. I think out the, I figured it out. Okay, here we go. So uh, I sat there because I decided that the, the most ridiculous time that I've seen it now was when Hayden Hurst did it to him. Yeah, he burned him. Hayden Hurst was like, I was like, how is like Hayden Hurst? How's Hayden Hurst outrunning Shaquille Griffin? This is stupid. Shaquille Griffin is fast. Okay, so there's two things. One of them is that you and I talked about this during the game. All of our corners were giving way too much of a cushion. They were playing Mm -hmm. way off. Well, what I noticed about Shaq is his trail position is really bad. So in man coverage, which is especially what you get when he's following in five and six DB sets and he's taking the inside guy, he's having this issue where his trail position, he kind of takes the outside back hip and when he takes the outside back hip he then kind of gives diagonal cushion so if it's an in-breaking route and you can drop it over the top of him basically yeah and so what's happening is he has all of the body space of the person he's defending well if the throw which any good quarterback will put kind of uh on a on a parallel line and kind of steepen that curve what you end up with is the the curve of the route increases the separation at the last minute and suddenly he just has a ridiculous amount of space. So it's a really big problem. Wow. What so is yeah, he, that why does he do that, do you think? I mean I think Pete, just a, Pete would beat that out of him, uh, you know, figuratively. I is it I something just a, he sees like is he taking a decoy? Habit. It's habit. Okay. 
it's a habit thing for sure. I mean, it totally sounds like something that he, he's been doing. That's how he does it. And he just has to, to break the habit. Um, but I mean, no, not Shaquille. No one's beating Shaquille Griffin in a straight line, which is why it bugs me so much when people can beat him running in diagonal line. Yeah, it's like he's getting this really good pass breakup when Julio Jones is running a vertical route, and then Hayden Hurst is burning him on a slant. And you're like, these this does not compute. Yeah, so, and yeah, it's a it's a technique thing. It's something he needs to improve. Yeah, and then um, so Marquise Marquise got burned a little bit. Shaquille got burned a bit. Do you know who didn't get burned? Bobby. They went after Bobby, and we said this last year. Bobby Wagner had a a medium year in pass coverage. He got targeted nine times, gave up six receptions, but only forty seven yards, and had two really important pass breakups. I once again, I cannot say it enough. Bobby Wagner, good. Leno Hill actually looked fine, which I um didn't think he he gave up one really bad play, the forty four yard reception, and then his other four targets, he gave up seven yards, which is really good. So he was really good except for the the one play, and he had three run stops as well. Maybe Leno Hill is more useful than uh, than I've given him credit for. The, th- the thing about Leno Hill is, is that I think they tried to use him a bit too much as like a deep safety. In this game, he covered Russell Gage, Hayden Hurst, Ito Smith, and Brian Hill. Those are the guys he should be covering. When he covered Julio Jones, that's when he gave up 44 yards. So they just need to be smart about how they deploy Leno Hill. If they deploy him in single high or the high safety set, which remember he got burned and then Diggs came back the very next play. <laughs> he ran back in the field. <laughs> I love stuff like that when one guy does a does a bad play and then the other guys the other guy the player he replaced is running back to try to get back in time for the next play. Yeah, I love the speculation that he had to go to the bathroom. It's like he ran out and then he comes <laughs> back like, "I asked you to save my spot in line. What'd you do? <laughs> you oh, had one job." But yeah, Leno Hill, Leno Hill's going to be a useful player this year if they deploy him in the box a lot. I think that that's actually kind of like a underrated thing that is a spicy, a little spicy, a little extra. Once I said, like I said, they deployed a lot of of defensive backs and it really worked. It really worked. Because um, so here's the thing. Let's be honest. Atlanta never had any chance to win this game. They were, they, at halftime they were down and then we came out in the second half and we put them away in the third quarter and the fourth quarter is just garbage time. We could have scored zero points in the fourth quarter and we still would have won. Yes. Like they, yes, they scored 13 points in the fourth quarter. Cool. But it didn't matter. None of it mattered. It doesn't bother me at all because this is a team in the Atlanta Falcons where you have a plus quarterback with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. Uh, This is the type of game that we can afford to train on, I guess. Like giving up a lot of points, giving up, you know, garbage time yardage did not bother me because I feel like we didn't have a, a preseason. This is the first game of the season. Our our offense, we talked about how amazing that was for given all of that. Our defense was still pretty good. Uh yardage wise, not so much. Uh, you know, our our they gave, we gave up a couple garbage time drives when we were playing prevent that I think you know, most people find frustrating, right? Yeah, yeah but frustrating. You still need to like Quentin Dunbar needs to kind of figure himself out in our system. And I think he's going to get there. Shaquille Griffin did some weird stuff, but I was okay with it because how many more games are we going to play like this? Now there's a handful of them. Like if we face the chiefs, something you have to be ready for. But in this situation, I'm more than happy to watch them train on the Atlanta Falcons. It's a very good team to train against. So I was just going to say a couple of things. Um, just generally about the team. So there was the sequence of plays where uh, late second quarter, up 14-9, there's that third down pass to DK where the no call on defensive pass interference. Mm -hmm. And that was after the defensive pass interference call that was against RDB 
on considerably less contact. And so you have like those kinds of sequences. And then end of the second quarter, there was the non-OPI on the pick play where Hurst threw the pick about three yards downfield, but it was apparently within one yard uh, on that drive. And then at the beginning of the third quarter, you had DK with the drop on that early third quarter that ended up becoming the fourth down touchdown pass. But you have that sequence to end the second and begin the third, where I think the last two years, the team would have kind of crumbled a little bit. Those are those moments that this crew has not been able to overcome. And we talk about, you know, if you're a really good team, even when the calls don't go your way, even when the plays don't quite go your way, you overcome it because you have that much talent and that much ability. And this looked like the kind of team, you know, this could have been that Tampa Bay game a couple years ago that we lost where you're sitting there going, this is not a good Tampa Bay team. Why are we losing? Yeah. Instead, after they went up 14-9, like by the end of the first half, even though the game was kind of close, it just felt like it was over. In the third quarter, uh, after the after the DK fourth down touchdown, even before the fumble on the fake punt, the game felt over. You just felt, okay, Seahawks are going to win. Let's just see by how much. How do they close it out? Okay, this is a, something I like to track is this is your punt coverage team. Burkirvin, Barton, Amadi, Homer, Hollister, Hill, Ott, Luke Wilson, Nico Thorpe, and Nick Ballore. So that gives you kind of an idea of those guys are probably – most for the most part pretty safe roster wise because they do the the work in those special team snaps so just something to keep an eye on uh homer uh, flowers actually worked on kick coverage too which i thought was pretty cool so we have a some good special teamers this year i feel like um mm-hmm. and uh yeah punt hub was back he looked good uh jason myers i don't even watch the kicks anymore i just turn away look at the look at so my setup i have the seahawks on the tv in front of me and then i have to turn my body to see the red zone channel so i during commercials i'm looking at red zone channel I don't even I don't even look at when Myers is kicking. I just turn to the red zone. I know it's going in. Automatic, baby. Auto right? Myers. That's yeah, it. There's no doubt. Okay, you guys ready to talk a little bit about New England Patriots? Yes. Do okay. It. I watched the New England Patriots play the Miami Dolphins. I watched the game. I wanted to see how they were doing uh, because I think a lot of people were excited to throw dirt on New England's grave. They were ready, right? Everyone wanted to be to get their shovel out and put their handful of dirt or their shovel full of dirt on top of New England's grave. And that's fun, and that's fine. This is not a bad football team. I'm just going to say that. Their offensive line is really good. And they were they are going to try that's how they are going to try to win the games this year is they're going to try to control the ball on offense, win with their offensive line, you know, slowly <laughs> slowly move up the field, right? No, they're not they're in no rush to get up the field. They've got a guy that's really hard to stop on third downs in Cam Newton. It's kind of the perfect ball control offense quarterback, right? And it's and so it's they're going to play ball control and then maybe take a couple shots with Cam. This is, I think, a team that the Seahawks, what they need to do is turn this into a track race. They need to make this a track meet. And so while New England's going to try to slow the game out, down, I want to see the Seahawks come out and speed the game up a little bit. I want us to do the opposite. And so that's kind of how I feel about when I'm watching them. We want to speed the game up and we want to try to beat them up in the, in the, um, and make them play fast, right? Beat their defense up, play fast, use the, to our advantage, confuse their defense. They play a lot of man. So, you know, 
you try to try to find the matchups, right? Because they they don't have enough guys totally. Um, catch them off guard. Maybe if you draw plays, Chris Carson running some dudes over that aren't expecting it. I I I like this matchup. I think it's really interesting from a stylistic perspective because they're going to come out and play, try to play a different style than we are, and that that kind of excites me. It, it's, it actually feels like a kind of a role reversal. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think you're right. A little bit. We're like bit. we're like they are going to try to do what we used to do. We're going to slow. We have really good cornerbacks. We're going to slow the game down. We're going to try to uh, create mistakes and turnovers from the other team. And we're going to try to control the ball and make and keep the game close. We're going to go out and we're going to try to like blow them out, uh, make try to get them, make them play up tempo, make them throw a lot. If we can make them throw, they're in trouble. They're in big trouble if they have to start throwing a whole bunch. Even though Cam will have time to throw, those receivers are garbage. So he'll have a tough time finding someone open to throw to, right? So if we make them have to chase us, that's a problem. That's a problem for the uh, New England Patriots. So there you go. There's my review of of the New England, of this game. What do you guys think? Um, yeah, absolutely. I I wasn't ready to throw dirt on the Patriots because they got Cam Newton. That was the moment where I was like, okay, well, this is the one area I think they're really going to struggle with, only because Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick, he's the best coach in football. Uh, he did say some really nice things about the Seahawks. He's impressed by Seahawks. He's impressed by Pete Carroll. Naturally, I think we have the two best coaches in the league. Andy, Andy Reid, I think you're right there. Um, Belichick is crafty. They stat, stat nerds are in shambles right yeah. now that you said that. They're like, <laughs> what about Kyle Shanahan yeah. and Sean McVay? Shanahan you you came right, at, you came right, right at the nerds right there. Eric. Don't forget, there's emotion and mental uh, <laughs> things that you can't gauge in all your stats. Um, uh oh, Eric's sorry. going. Oh, Eric's going full, full football guy. We got to watch out. Yeah. Well, I was, I was a uh, big fan of look at a landing the year we decided that uh, you know defensive wins were going to get us into the playoffs. Anyway, um, <laughs> I think that Bill Belichick is going to be crafty and he's going to find ways to run the ball against us. Uh, and maybe that is using Cam Newton. Maybe that's doing a trick play Edelman using him as a running back in the backfield. Um, running the ball against, against Bobby <laughs> Wagner and Jamal Adams. Yeah. I like the way I like the way you're thinking though. See, that's the thing is it's the strength of our defense is going to be stopping what they want to do. I, yeah. I think it gives us a little edge. Well, it's I not th- that, Go ahead, they might I'm be sorry. able to impose. They might be able to impose their will anyway, right? Because their offensive line is that good, and Cam Newton is really hard to stop. Fourteen or fifteen rushes, eight first downs. Yes, there Cam will Newton. be some that's, misdirection. That's the Patriots are big on misdirection. They have a great offensive line. That's. I, I'm not saying anything bad about Tom Brady, but the Patriots' success has always been in their offensive line through Belichick's takeover of the NFL. And so, yeah, they're going to be crafty. There's going to be misdirection, and I anticipate them imposing their will enough so it's a game as opposed to uh you know what we saw last sunday all right kevin what do you think about this matchup i think the biggest thing we have to do is make sure cam newton doesn't hurt us with his legs i think if it requires that we have you know who spent a lot of time spying quarterbacks um who jordan brooks oh yeah jordan brooks is an excellent qb spy something to think about as we get going through this um, I think that it's going to be really important to cover James White out of the backfield because I am not worried about their receivers at all. I think we have a massive advantage when it comes to their wide receivers. And so even with McDaniel's ability to kind of scheme them open, you can only scheme so much separation when the players all have magnets in their pockets. Yeah, like, you, it's bad. 
And just throwing to Edelman like 20 times is not a solution to this problem. Like yep. he's, he's not a bad wide receiver, but if you throw to him 20 times, he probably got like 115 yards. Like he, he just doesn't, his targets are not, his average depth of target is just short. Yeah. And then Cam Newton was not good under pressure. The only thing was they just couldn't get any pressure on him. So if they can cover to the point where Cam Newton has to hold on to the ball long enough to be pressured. And then if the uh, offense can score enough and score quickly enough to force them into passing situations, then it's exactly what you said. We can turn their offense upside down in week one. Their offense got to do exactly what they wanted to do. Cam protected the ball, you know, did a lot with his legs, eked out those first downs, chewed up field, chewed up clock. And then the defense locked down Miami. Well, the defense is going to have a lot harder of a time locking down Russ. And so if the Seahawks can jump out, get a couple of scores early, and really push uh, New England to play from behind, that's not something they're geared towards doing. And, and if this does turn into a race, they're in a bad position. This is the classic, like, Pete Carroll always says, you can't win the game in the fourth, qu- fourth qu- or first quarter. I think this is the classic game where the Seahawks' first quarter is going to have a big part first half maybe is going to have a big part in determining whether or not we can win this game because new Eng- like new England from behind is going to be a different team than new England from ahead. It's just totally different look that they're going to give you on defense. They're going to be totally different looks on offense. They're, they're going to be pressing. If the Seahawks can really get off to a fast start, like we did against Atlanta, get a couple scores. It's just going to pull new England out of where they want to be. They want to, they want to place, smash mouth old school football. I know it's really stupid to say, but that is what the Patriots want to be this year with Cam Newton as a quarterback. And so we have to push them out of their comfort zone and make it a track meet. We have to, we have to be chiefs NFC West. (laughs) We we have to, we have to embrace our destiny and really push that, push that, that pace, push that offense. This is a, an elite offense and it's time to start acting like it. It's time to start using our offense to impose our will on people. And it's weird to say that because we've been a defensive football team for, I don't know, a million years. But last year we were 29th against the run and 26th against the pass. It's times they are at oh, how time does go by Schwab. (laughs) Uh, All right. Anything else you guys want to say before we hit the predictions? No. I really wish that we had Shaq Mason. Can I say that? How did How did he get to the fourth round? Man, what a what an L everyone takes on that. Like <laughs> watching when because I'm watching when I'm watching their the replay of the game. Like I'm watching how they're controlling the line. And man, that dude specifically, Shaq Mason, is so good. And he got drafted so late because he had like weird and weird numbers. You know, like weird combine numbers. And it's like, okay, guys, the whoever scouting offensive line for for Belichick. It, crushes Thune in the third round Mason in the fourth round those are two of the best guards in the entire league you know they just they know what they're doing and it's uh everyone else is playing catch up so okay um Eric go first what hit us with your hit us with your uh your prediction here uh, I said it's going to be a bit of a game that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be close I have Seahawks 31 New England 20 all right uh, Kevin, oh, uh, I really don't want to double up on your score, but that was literally the exact score I was thinking. Nice, uh, I like it. Uh, I'm just gonna keep it, man. Uh, Seahawks 31. Let's go, Seahawks 31, New England 18. Okay, um, you guys know that uh, 
I'm one thing I'm into is like the four outcomes, right? The Seahawks blowout, Seahawks close, Patriots close, uh, Patriots blowout. And I would say that Patriots blowout quadrant basically doesn't exist in this game. I would be stunned if the Patriots blew us out, but I would not be stunned if we blew out the Patriots and won by 10 or more points. So I'm going to pick the Seahawks to win by 10 or more points. And I'm going to pick us to win 35 to 17. And I'll say this, that score sounds like we're just going to kill them. I think we get up early and then the rest of the game is pretty even, right? We're up 14, nothing. And then the rest of the game goes and it's like 21 to 18. Like, so if you took out those first 14 points, we, we wouldn't win, but those 14 points were the difference. So I just, that's it. All right. You guys, uh, ready to go. Let's go to money zone. If you want to support the Seahawks in this podcast, there are many ways to do so the best way head over to Michael Dixon's homepage, punthub.us. That's right, where you can see all your fine punting. We can get all your punting needs. And also, click anywhere to find the Seahawks Nest Patreon. We got our pick. We got our picks podcast. You can get in the Discord, which I think has been a lot of fun uh, this season. We did a we did a live stream of the game uh, this week, and I'll talk to while we were doing it. I thought that was a really good time. That was a good time. Uh, so thank you to new Patreons, EB, Cooper, uh, and then this is a name that I'm going to screw up, but pa- Foles Wabo Paradiso. I hope I nailed that. And if I didn't, well, you can yell at me in the Discord. Uh, thank you guys for joining the the crew. And to all our longtime Patreons, thank you so much. Also, fun fun thing, in the Discord, I'm going to give away a couple of Seahawks Nest masks once Keith gets them to me. So thank you, Brett, Cooper, James, Carrie, Lucas, Ryan, Timothy, Tom, Emmanuel, Bob, Flocktimus, Keith, Foles, Jay, Kieran, Michelle, Mike, Richard, everyone. Uh, oh, Brandon and Nick. You guys crushing it, helping us out, keeping us going, keeping me alive in my heart. So thank you. Okay. Movie club today. So I've been philosoph- philosophize, philosoph- philosophizing yes. a lot because I'm in quarantine and I just trying to think about like what really matters to me. What do I, what's important in my life? And um, one thing I was thinking about is like, Hey man, like what actors do I miss? Like, do I, did I not appreciate enough while they were there? And one name stood above all the rest. And that was for me, Philip Seymour Hoffman. And uh, I, I was thinking, and I was like, you know, I didn't appreciate this while I was here enough. And uh, you never know when, when it's going to be gone. So I'm trying to just appreciate everything more, you know? And, uh, so I thought, let's do a fave five, Philip Seymour Hoffman. What are our f- our top five Philip Seymour Hoffman films, performances? Uh, I don't know how you want to, we can, we can figure out how we're going to slice that. Do we want to slice it as films or performances, our favorite performances? I think I want to go films because I feel like performances, you know, I, th- I feel like he puts in a great performance in everything. Philip Seymour Hoffman's probably one of the five best character actors of our lifetime. Yes. And so... Like if you go performances, like I don't want to be sitting here having an argument about Mission Impossible Three. Because mm, I, like, I like, good, but I like Mission Impossible Three. <laughs> I don't think it's that bad. Um, want to hear a cool Mission Impossible Three fact? Yes. So sure. you know that you know that scene where he sticks that thing in Tom Cruise's nose and then shoots it up there in Mission mm-hmm. Impossible Three. Yes. That so that scene was incredibly difficult to film, and Mission Impossible Three in general was filmed on a really low budget because that 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 franchise was basically DOA at that point and JJ Abrams had to come in and like rescue it. And I'm using low budget as a figurative term, right? It had a budget, but for a movie like mission impossible three, it was low budget. So when they did that scene, 
you know, they, they do a bunch of takes and he keeps putting that thing in Tom Cruise's nose and Tom Cruise is like flinching every time and they don't like the way that looks. So he's trying not to flinch and Tom Cruise is a straight up psychopath, but he still can't do it. So when you see the hand holding the gun in that movie, that hand is Tom Cruise's hand. Oh, that's, wow. That's that's how they ended up doing that. They had Tom Cruise hold it and then used kind of camera tricks to get that. So Tom is actually holding it. So he knew it was coming and wouldn't flinch. Oh, interesting. Also, Mission Impossible 3 has Billy Crudup, who is the goat. So that is why Mission Impossible 3 is awesome. <laughs> and if and I will fight I will fight anyone else. I don't even like Billy Crudup movies that much. He's in a bunch of movies I think suck. Justice League, Watchmen, I think are super overrated. But Billy Crudup is amazing in everything he is in. He should be in every movie. That's another that's a person I'm trying to appreciate. But uh wow. Billy Crudup for another day. Uh, let's stick to Philip Seymour Hoffman. Anyway, that was my fun Mission Impossible 3 story. Did you like it? I liked it. That was good, All huh? Right. There you no, go. Okay. So okay, uh, Eric, go ahead. Give us your. Give us. We usually the way we do this. We all kind of get one unless we strongly disagree with the one that the other person picks. So what's your what's your your first nomination here, Eric? Okay, my first nomination going along the lines of what Kevin said. He wants to do films over performances. I would argue if you're a true master, if you're doing an amazing performance, it's going to elevate the film. I think someone like uh, James Franco is a fine actor. I don't think he's a master because sometimes I can be like, yeah, yeah, that movie was fine, but I don't care how good he was. It doesn't matter. The movie was not that great. Philip Seymour Hoffman elevates movies. Here's a movie that I don't know if you guys love, but I love, and it's The Master. I didn't even mean for uh, to do that little wordplay at the beginning. This sure is uh, I, <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson directed. This is a movie with Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman dueling for that lead actor role for best performance in a film. Um, I'll just say that the first time I saw this, I was really focused on both actors and what they were doing. I didn't know how much I liked the movie. I liked it, but I didn't know. I didn't know why. Like I didn't have a reason to believe I liked it. I didn't like it. I loved it. Whatever. I went back and watched it again. This is a three hour movie. It's a lot of time, but it's what I want to spend my time on. The movie gets better every time I've watched it. I've watched it three times now. The Master is a masterpiece. It's a great movie. It's got great performances. And Philip Seymour Hoffman in one of his final roles, uh, he just he just knocks it out of the park in every way. Those top those top three actors in this movie, Joaquin Phoenix, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Amy Adams. Amy Adams, yeah. Crush really? to a crush to a level that is like unbelievable in this movie. I also think the master's really good, but Philip Seymour Hoffman is a star in this movie as Lancaster Dodd, the uh like leader of a of a science said scientology yeah, yeah, charismatic religious leader <laughs> it's leader of not scientology i think scientology way nice spot in this too yeah there's this movie's good like this yeah. movie's real good and uh and i agree eric uh i think it deserves a spot in the fave five for sure all right kevin what are you gonna pick uh let's see there's some really good different choices here, but I'm going to go with one where I think his performance is another really big one. It's another PTA movie and it's punch drunk love. Oh, interesting. This is different than I expected. I do like punch drunk love though. Philip Seymour Hoffman as Dean Trumbull, the mattress King is just, it's, it's a ridiculously uh, oddball role that I feel like he is one of the few people that could pull it off at a high level and playing like a petty criminal mastermind and playing opposite Barry Egan's um, creepy 
and uh, protagonist of the movie is just a really nice thing. Like the ridiculous shouting matches that he gets into with Sandler mm-hmm. and like the half baked ideas that make sense. Like it, he just, he puts in a great performance in this movie and it's, uh, it's honestly the most approachable PTA movie, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And it's one of a handful of Adam Sandler performances that are genuinely good acting. The, the performance that the, the thing that impresses me most about punch drunk love in general is the performance that PT Anderson pulled out of Adam Sandler in this movie. And by extension, Emily Watson and, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, because they're acting alongside him. The performance they got out of Adam Sandler as a as a crew is is a re, is revelatory. It makes you think Adam Sandler has wasted his whole career goofing around in shorts with his friends, which is true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, also, the cinematography in this movie, like it gives you the protagonist is depressed, right? This movie and like the cinematography makes you feel that somehow, like that that like I don't know that socially awkward like. I don't it's just like something very distance from things there's some weird shadow play or like the way and they use they use the center they use the cinematography to kind of give the mood and I love it Mm -hmm. all right I'm gonna pick a movie I want to protect because I think uh I don't think you guys are gonna pick it and I think you guys might fight me really hard if I try to make it one of the ones that's not mine so I'm gonna pick Moneyball because I like I like Moneyball this movie is really good. Philip Seymour Hoffman plays Art Howe, the manager of the Oakland Athletics, who is like stuck in the mud, doesn't want to do that. So salty. He's so salty the whole movie. Doesn't want to do the stuff that Jonah Hill, uh, who, who's playing Peter Brandt, or who's playing a dip, dip Podesto or whatever. Yeah. No, he, 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 he wouldn't be. Not, not Dee Podesta. They had to change it because he was didn't want to be fat, even though Jonah Hill can is not that whatever it doesn't matter Jonah Hill was um, playing Deep Podesto in the same way that Philip Seymour Hoffman was playing uh, um Art Howe uh, L. Ron Humbert oh. <laughs> so so here's the thing baseball's super boring I don't even really like watching baseball that much this movie is more entertaining than any baseball game I've ever watched except for when the Cubs were in the World Series so that is how much I love this movie it's so good and it's um just has like this it factor and I and Billy and um but the ability, the uh, Art Howe character is a really big part of that. That it provides a nice foil for what Billy Brad Pitt's Billy Bean is doing. And, I'm gonna uh, need I th- an extension. I, th- <laughs> I think I just think it just really works. Just and the I, bubbles too. Yeah, yeah, I just think that he really like did something in this movie that that really because of that movie. If without like a a correct antagonist, just becomes like another sports movie. Yeah, but I think he gave it like a real a real uh, antagonist. So anyway, there you go. I'm making money ball on the fifth five. Are we good with I'm it? Glad you picked that because that's one of my top four. That was a lock for me. So I'm happy. Okay, good. All right. That was so mine too. Have, nice. Now I have to pick two movies. Can I go over some of the movies? I think I believe are the contenders. Mm-hmm. I'd like, all right. To. Boogie nights. Yes. Uh, the big Lebowski Magnolia. Synect, Synect, New York. Sine- I did Sinodochi, it. New York. Nope. I did it. Synecdoche, New York. Almost famous, uh, talented Mr. Ripley, Capote. Doubt. I, doubt. Doubt's a really good performance. I don't. I wouldn't put that movie into the top five for me. I, I would like, put it with some of the other ones you mentioned. Um, but like, <laughs> I don't know which one. Like, which one? Which one do you think it's like? Uh, Capote. I think it's right there with that. Where he Capote is, is just the, the movie a lot. Capote is just the performance, man. That's. I feel like he is 
Capote. Yeah, like, he turns him into yeah, Truman Capote. It's super weird. Watch like interview of Capote and then watch him and the mannerisms and stuff. It's nuts. You it's can like, read a quote from Capote that he doesn't say in the movie and you picture Philip Seymour Hoffman. Well, yeah, it's just like he is Capote. And I that's such an incredible role. Um, Before the Devil Knows Your Dead is good too. Uh, anything else I'm missing? My Boyfriend's Back. Hunger Games. Classic. How dare Hunger Games, Kevin. Twister. Son of a Woman. <laughs> <laughs> along, along Came Polly. Uh, Hatch Adams. Now we're just naming movies that he's good in. But bad we don't, bad movies we don't that like. he's in, yes. Uh, 25th Hour is not that bad, but it doesn't belong on this fave five all right let's uh let's, let's hit it what you know you the movies what? of the movies you mentioned uh the first two you said you said boogie nights and you said patch adams i'm kidding <laughs> you said boogie nights and uh what was the other one what was the second big lebowski one? thank you big lebowski i was like it, it slipped up those i think are, are shoe ins those are like my two that i want to well, put in here well then it's then it, then that's five and i i completely agree wow. with both of those okay. movies those are the other two for my top five as well <laughs> so the wow, thing is okay. I, che- I cheated because i didn't want to have to argue for moneyball so then i was like oh if i leave boogie nights and big lebowski open it'll make the five real well little did you know that if you'd have taken lebowski i would have said moneyball and boogie nights are my next two so i would have i would have also i it's funny i i follow the rules of what we do and I, ha- I feel like having uh, two to three of the same director, it's like cheating. But at the mm-hmm. same time, like it's the best of the best. So here we go. Mark Wahlberg. Uh, OK, Boogie Nights. Let's talk about his performance in Boogie Nights. <laughs> oh, As God, it's so Scotty good. J. OK, Eric, go ahead. You got it. Eric's got to do the Scotty J stuff because it's he's. Uh, you know, I just I want to be like you, Dirk. You know, I, I gotta, <laughs> hey, hey, come here. Come here. I got to show you my car. What do you think? What do you think? Oh, can I kiss you? I, I love you so much, man. <laughs> it's, it's this amazing performance, and it's you can tell he's like this guy who's trying to not be a fat guy and trying to hang with these cool athletic guys, and he's just never gonna do it. Um, good, great, great times in that role. That that movie is all all star performances in a movie that's very serious yet also comedic gold yes it's it the movie just works like it's some um, it's like it's a little messy but it just works like it i don't know yeah it's it's i love it i'm 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 cannot imagine uh and it, it hits era so well too you know what i mean yeah like it was made it was made at the turn at the turn of the century around 2000 what to 1997 maybe 98 then, yeah something like that and then it's uh it's 97 yeah and then it's it's just a but it nailed the era of like porn like 70s porn or 80s porn right well look at the uh, people in that movie there's like alfred molina is in that movie thomas jane uh these are solid actors that have gone don, on to do don Cheadle, john c yeah, riley don Luis Cheadle, guzman. john c riley yeah, <laughs> yeah john c riley was ripped in that. louise guzman is like my low-key favorite part of that movie robert robert downey senior <laughs> <laughs> you know the thing about uh the thing about philip seymour hoppa's performance in boogie nights is that he brought uh, number one i can't picture anyone else pulling off that character that well that True. was a unique that was a uniquely interesting character who could easily have been forgettable in a movie and doesn't get a doesn't get a bunch of screen time has a couple of big scenes but uh doesn't get a doesn't get a ton of screen time but if you think about like it's Philip Seymour Hoffman and then William H Macy, 
are kind of the two not huge roles, but two actors that shine big in the role that they're in. Yeah. Um, I, I think I Lebowski is along the same lines. Here's the thing about Big Lebowski, okay, is that I've only given six movies a five in my entire life, and that's one of them. So, yeah, I like The Big Lebowski quite a bit. I've never really had a, taken the opportunity to talk about how much I like it on this podcast and all the things I've – how many times I've seen it and how, how much I think about this movie. This movie is really funny and uh, just captures something about like that – the way – just the dude, the slacker lifestyle that I just find just so – incredible and yeah it's it's perfect and brant the philip seymour hoffman character is hilarious <laughs> and like when he's walk when he's just walking the dude around and he's got the um he sees uh tara reed <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just awesome so yeah <laughs> dude dude uh mr lebowski does not want the rug back that is not why i'm calling he said, oh, yeah, dude, you just told me to take any rug in the house. <laughs> I think there's a reason why you see directors like the Coens and Paul Thomas Anderson and Spike Lee picking Philip Seymour Hoffman. And it's because he's the kind of actor who can elevate any role. Like the Coens are so well known for that, where the bit parts go to people like uh, Buscemi or whoever it is, because they create these really memorable characters and no matter how much time there is. And I think that that says something about uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, where in really small roles, he's memorable, but then he's such a powerhouse where in movies like uh, Capote, where he's asked to do so much heavy lifting, he's able to just crush it. Yeah. He's the, he's, he was one of the goats and it's too bad. He's gone. Um, yeah. That's all. I, that, that's about it there. So yeah, send, 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 send us your favorite, uh, Send us your favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman movie for Kevin, for Eric. We will see you guys next week. Go Hawks.